This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 342. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am so thrilled that today I have with me on the show, Jacob Paulson. It's true. I'm here. Yeah. Unbelievable. (laughs) Not that shocking, really. (laughs) And so we are back uh, with another episode actually to talk about uh, mass shootings or active shootings. Uh, now active shooter or an active shooting only really applies when it's actually happening in the moment it's active right uh, but uh, regardless of the of the uh, semantics there we're going to do a surviving mass shootings part two we talked about last week and felt like you know what we didn't do it enough justice and we didn't spend enough time really talking about the how so we're back today to talk about part two and there's plenty of stuff we can talk about about mass shootings maybe some tactics, maybe how to get, you know, what what can we do to maximize our chance at survival? And uh, just to define survival, by the way, like I much prefer using a word like prevail because prevail to me means like I don't just survive because surviving could be Jacob gets shot in the head and doctors save him, but he's in a coma for the rest of his life right? Like that's, that's not really a good definition of surviving, but that's what we're talking about. Okay. So we not about that, but about how to actually get through it and be in one piece and be whole and get home to our families, right? How that's the focus today. Got Jacob with me. I'm excited, but there's something else I'm really excited about Jacob. Yeah. We got kind of a, kind of an announcement today. Yeah. I guess I'll spill it. <laughs> and then you, can, you can throw your, your, your two cents in too. We are really excited to announce today a new sponsor of the podcast and really excited about this. Uh, it took some some time to kind of get to a place where everybody everybody was happy with the arrangements and uh, we're, we're absolutely thrilled. We are excited to announce that today's episode is sponsored by CCW Safe. So we've got CCW Safe now on board and there's other exciting news and I'll let Jacob spill that. But I'll just say that, you know, there's a lot of really great insurance programs out there or insurance type or self-defense, say, coverages. I've investigated them all pretty thoroughly. And there's other good ones for sure. But I'll tell you, the more that I've looked into CCW Safe, the more and more impressed I have become for a variety of reasons. Uh, Just one good reason is you can go back and listen to, I think it's episode 312, where we interviewed Stephen Maddox who's a CCW safe member. And because of that, he's walking free today. Okay. If he wasn't a CCW safe member, I don't know if that'd be the case. So that's one good reason. And if you missed it, go back, listen to episode 312. You're going to want to hear that. And I think just hearing that one episode, you'll be like, wow, maybe I should give CCW safe a look. But again, there's a lot of options out there and they're all pretty good or many of them are good. You can always go to our website, concealedcarry.com forward slash, I think just insurance. Correct. Right? Yep. Concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance. And there's a lot of great info on there and some comparison. And you can see how CCW Safe stacks up 
with everybody else. And I think you'll see too why now I am actually, I'm officially as of like two weeks ago, a CCW safe member. And I've been quiet about it because I've been really excited to announce this, but today is the official announcement and I'm thrilled to be a member. Yeah. Uh, echo most of what you said, right? I mean, there's, most. This is, well, most, this <laughs> is a competitive marketplace and uh, most of us, what we what we love the most is what we first learn about. You know, if, if we're being honest, you know, if you talk to people about this topic, people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm a member of such and such and it's the best. Well, it's the best. Why? Because it's the only, it's the, it's the first one you learned about. And so you joined it and now you have some sort of cognitive dissonance that, you know, leads you to believe that it must be the best because the one you joined. And I, I would say that's true about me. I remember the first time I learned about a company in this industry, and I, as far as I was concerned, it, it sounded like the best to me because that's all I knew, right? And then you learn about another one, like, ah, oh, that one sounds pretty good too, and then another one. And so it's a, it's a competitive space, and there's a lot of players. And we are fortunate, you and I, Riley, to know a lot of the executives and people who work for these companies. We've been to the headquarters for some of these companies. And it, it, you know, I, I truly believe that a lot of these companies are very legitimate and good and doing what they can to protect American gun owners. Uh, but that said, uh, CCW Safe has really come to play with us and A, to sponsor this, this podcast. And you'll, you'll hear them on, on an ongoing basis as a sponsor. But also, and I think this is the other big announcement that you uh, were leaving for, for me, moving forward, effective immediately, CCW Safe will provide a 20% discount on all of their plans to any member of Guardian Nation. So if you are a member of Guardian Nation now, or if you decide to join Guardian Nation in the future, you can claim a 20% discount on any CCW safe plan. That's a pretty dang big deal. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, the, the most expensive CCW safe plan is $500 a year. And that is, that's the plan I'm on. And that's the plan you're on, Riley. And I think it's the plan to be on. So for $500 a year, uh, you're, you're pretty dang covered by CCW safe. But if you're a member of Guardian Nation and you get take 20% off, that's $100 savings. That knocks that $500 a year down to $400 a year for the best coverage uh, that they offer. So yeah. yeah, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So if you are a member of Guardian Nation or if you join Guardian Nation and like to take advantage of that benefit, you can go into the members area and you'll see a new link there that says CCW Safe Discount. And there are instructions on how to sign up and, and take advantage of the 20% discount. Or if you're already a member of CCW Safe and you just want to claim that 20% off for you know, future renewals as a member, then there's a form there with instructions on how to go about doing that. So 20% off CCW Safe plans for both existing and new CCW Safe members who are members of Guardian Nation. That's awesome. Like Mark recognizes how awesome that is. He says 20% discount is pretty awesome. It's You're huge. not kidding. Like on their top, top plan, the ultimate plan, you're saving a hundred bucks. That's a hundred bucks. Dang. So anyway, obviously again, you have to take advantage of that discount. You've got to be a member of Guardian Nation. And to learn more about Guardian Nation, head on over to guardiannation.com. We hope that you'll consider that as well and take a look. We think both things are pretty awesome if, to be a member of Guardian Nation and also have that self-defense coverage from CCW Safe. And we, we see it- Marriage made in heaven. Yeah, I was about to say that. It's like, you know, on one hand, we recognize that when, you know, we have a membership program, right? We call it Guardian Nation and it costs $461.40 a year. And that's a lot of, to ask people to pay. And it doesn't come with any sort of insurance coverage. It's really all about training and, and gear. 
But then we look at the industry and we're like, well, a lot of people are also members of these self-defense insurance ask uh, programs and a lot of them cost, you know, 200 to $500 a year, but they don't get any training or the, the training they get is very limited, you know, in, in the form of a newsletter or a magazine and they don't get any gear. So how do we make it easier for people to be a member, both of Guardian Nation, so they can get the training they need, they can get the gear they need, but also have the insurance, uh, the, the coverage, you know, that the, we think that they need as a, as a gun owner, as a daily carrier. And this is the answer. You know, this yep. is the answer. You can join Guardian Nation and CCW Safe and enjoy 20% savings there. And Mark is a member of Guardian Nation. And he says, I might actually buy the insurance now. Dude, do it. Yeah, you should. You're an attorney. You got plenty of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. David, uh, I see your question. Dude, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance. Read everything there. Look at that comparison chart. It'll tell you all you need to know. And I know you're going to probably see it the way we do. And you're going to see that CCW Safe is a pretty good option. Yeah, That's it stacks actually. up well. All right. Okay, we, we've spent enough time on that, but again, we got to give our new sponsor some love. So, uh, by the way, CCW Safe can be found at ccwsafe.com in case we did not mention that. All right, now to the topic at hand, surviving a mass shooting part two. And really today, as I said in the beginning, the focus we want to be on, on really the, the how, uh, if there is such a thing. I so do can, can I kick this off? Yeah, absolutely. Like I got a place to start. And in the, in the episode last week, you and Matthew dang near referred to me as a coward. So I have some some personal defense I have to uh, I have to to utter here. But I think that you know what I have to say is also kind of the, the place to start this conversation, generally speaking. And it's true that I'm on record as often saying that you know in a life in a life threatening situation, my number one priority is to make sure my my kids still have a dad, right? To make sure I come home. And so that means that often I might take the option of you know, safe retreat as opposed to engaging uh, in, in a threat. And that's certainly true. I've said that many times. However, I, I don't want to take anything away from that either, Jacob. Right, right, right. And you I guys were not knocking on it. You didn't actually call me a coward. You just said, hey, that's Jacob's perspective. That's his attitude. And that's fine. And, and I would agree that anyone who has that, that attitude or perspective, that is fine. But let me, let me clarify. And I, and I, think, I think that the clarification, the, the devil in the detail here is the place we have to start with the active shooter uh, or the mass shooting, you know, kind of mentality. So here's, here's the gist. And you guys talked about this a little bit last, last week about, you know, what, what's the difference between me being in this situation alone versus with my family? Let's say that I am, you know, coming to pick up my kids from school. Uh, school may be a bad example because of the laws, but anyway, just for roll with me. Let's say I'm coming to pick up the kids from school and as I park the car and I start to walk up to go pick them up, I hear gunfire. Okay, I hear gunfire in the school, in the building where my children are. Now, is this a situation where I say to myself, uh, run and hide? No, right? You, in, that, in this case, with, with absolute zero concern or caution, you know, well, I don't know about zero, but with, with very limited amount of caution, you run toward the gunfire and you engage the shooter because that's what's necessary to protect the lives, uh, the lives of my, in this case, my children in this little fictitious scenario I've invented, right? I come home from work. I hear gunfire in my home. I'm not, I'm not slowly moving from cover to cover. I am, I, am run, I am moving as fast as humanly possible to engage that threat because my wife and my kids are in that house, right? Now, contrast that to version number two of this, right? I'm at the mall, uh, we're sitting in the food court enjoying some really cheap Chinese American food 
because all food courts have it and it's delicious. So we're sitting there eating that and we hear gunfire. And, you know, if, if I can tell it's gunfire, then it's probably pretty close, frankly, because if it's not very close, I'm going to be like, huh, what was that sound? <laughs> you know, but, but I, if I can tell it's actually gunfire, it's pretty freaking close. Now this changes things now, right? The, is my family in the gunfire? You know, do I need to run blindly into the gunfire? Probably not. Uh, but I do need to make sure that above all else, my wife and children are safe. That's, that's got to be my number one priority, right? I got to grab those people, uh, my wife and children, and I have to secure their safety first and foremost. That's a requirement. So maybe I, I, I am able to take those people, uh, my family, and put them somewhere safe. Maybe we're able to take an immediate exit to the parking lot. I tell them to go run off there. Maybe I have to go with them to ensure their, their safety. Maybe I don't. You know, that, that, that's, that's one thing. And then it's a third thing altogether. I'm sitting in the food court enjoying the cheap Chinese food and... I'm by myself and I hear that gunfire. So, so I think we have to put that a little bit in context. And, and here's what I would say. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Ed Veasters. I'm a big fan of Ed Veasters. He's kind of retired now, but Ed Veasters was the first American and the eighth person ever on planet Earth to scale all 8,000 8, meter peaks on planet Earth without supplemental oxygen. So he's kind of a hardcore mountain climber and he has a saying that he's very famous for and his saying is getting to the top is optional getting back down is required yeah so i want i want you to think about this i think when i think about the mass shooting scenario i have to think to myself you know protecting strangers is optional going home is required right? Protecting strangers is optional going home. That's the best way to summarize my perspective on this. And I, I, would, I would say that no matter who you are, even if you're, you are the most heroic, noble person on planet earth, and you're happy to give your life immediately for any stranger you come into contact with, I, I hope that you don't think that means your best how, when it comes to engaging an active shooter, the mass murderer, is to just run toward the gunfire with no caution whatsoever. That there's got to be a certain degree of, yes, we, we want to move quickly. Yes, we want to engage quickly. But if we don't use the right tactics, if we don't do it properly, not only do our odds of going home, which is my requirement, you know, dramatically decrease, but also the, our odds of success in actually stopping that shooter greatly decrease. So I think you know, that's, that's how I approach this conversation of the how, you know, what am I actually going to do in the mass shooting? It's like, well, I, I want to maximize my odds of survival, both so that I can actually be effective in, in stopping the threat and go home. Yeah. I think you, we explained it. it was uh, very well done, actually, Jacob. I applaud you for that. I don't know if I could have explained it. Actually, I know I couldn't have explained it any better than what you just did, particularly from your perspective on that. Uh, defending strangers is optional. Getting home is is a must, uh, is essential. That is, uh, that's probably the best way to put that. And, and I, and I would say that, um, everything is situationally dependent, right? So you, you started off with the example of I'm arriving at my kid's school. I'm there to pick them up. It's near the end of the school day. I hear gunfire inside the school. My kids are in there. Yeah. Like I would do anything for my kids. I would jump in front of a train if it meant saving the life of my kids, right? I think most of us as parents would do that. So I'm running into that school if I can get in 
And I'm probably ignoring federal law as it relates to me carrying my gun into that school or state law uh, because, you know, it's that, you know, what's important is saving particularly my kids' lives at that point. And anyone else that uh, is helped along the way, that that's a bonus. Um, but then, you know, let's suppose that I'm in a public place, a public square, a food court at a mall, a, a church, whatever, and I've got my kids or my wife, my family with me. I need to make sure that my family survives, right? If my family and I are somewhat removed from where the active shooter is located, from where the current you know shooting is taking place, the goal is to get the family out. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Jacob. You talk about saving strangers or helping strangers or protecting strangers is optional, but church is an interesting one, right? Because I, I think you probably feel similar similarly to me in this regard, but a lot of the people at church, I say a lot of the people, I should say all the people, uh, are my family. Now, they're not the same level. Like, there's different levels of family, right? You know, they're here. My, my, my wife and my kids are up here. Sure, sure. Um, But they're definitely not strangers. They are also people that I care about. So that's going to play into it as well as far as what I do and, and how I handle myself. Well, and, if, and I'll add just quickly, and I'll let you keep going, but sometimes you also are in a role where you have a certain obligation or commitment to act, right? So if you serve on a church security team, for example, you know, I'm, I'm not a cop. I don't have a badge. Uh, you know, an officer on duty does have an obligation, both legal and moral, to run toward gunfire. Um, but when, I, when I'm in a, serving in a capacity on a church security team, I've also committed in advance right right, that I will act, that I, I will be proactive. And so that also changes those, those things because I've made a, a prior commitment, you know, that I have an obligation to act. Yep, yep. So we, we definitely agree, you know, on those points as well. And, and then if I'm by myself in a public space of some sort and my family is not with me, then it gets a little bit more difficult. And even if my family's with me too, it can be a little bit difficult, right? Like, like let's say we're at that Walmart. And we're kind of deep into the store. Well, extricating them from that store might be really difficult uh, without having to go through, you know, where the shooter is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we're going to try to take cover t- as best we can or hunker down where, you know, because there's opportunities to, to hide from a shooter in a big open store like that. And then you decide, okay, I'm only going to take action with my gun if I feel like that threat's coming towards me and my family now at this point. But also, here's another thing too. And this would actually correlate, I think, directly to purpose of our discussion today is how uh, to survive or prevail or succeed in a mass shooting. And don't forget, we probably tend not to think about these sorts of things because there are generally areas that are off limits to us. But don't forget, there's not just one or two exits from that store. And, then, and, and uh, you know, as far as that main entrance or, you know, most Walmarts have two, at least two main entrances. Uh, there's more than just those. There are emergency exits, but there's also the back of the store, right? Where only employees generally can go, but that's not going to be an issue in a situation like this. So just because you're deep somewhere into a space, a public space, like even think about that in malls, there's all kinds of places in the back of all these different stores and things that if 
if you can make your way that way, if that makes more sense, if that's closer to you, if that's away from the shooter, take advantage of that. Don't just stick to the public thoroughfares. Okay. So that's, that's actually probably my first number one point here to, to, to the how of everything relating to mass shootings today is don't forget that there are other opportunities for escaping or hiding or getting away from an active shooter. Or I'll add barricading. You know, yeah. you use the Walmart example. There are, there are places in Walmart you can generally do a barricade. And this is true of a lot of stores. You know, an employee room you mentioned, but like a bathroom is a great barricade, right? You, you go through there, you have a natural choke, choke point, very easy room to defend. Um, you probably have a couple you know, more solid walls than, than the uh, chip racks outside, right, of the bathroom that you could put a family member in. Um, yeah. You also probably have, you know, in the auto center, there's a little waiting room in the, in the auto center, you know, of the Walmart, the auto center itself where they're changing out oil and tires or whatever. So, you know, there, there might be other opportunities to find a barricade area uh, where you can create a natural choke point and probably be in a much better position. Now, these are all assuming that you've chosen to not go in search of threat, right? This, this is all about either escape, evade, or barricade, um, and, and all that is acceptable and fine. Um, my, my next thought about the how, and, and Matthew did mention this last week in his defense, but this is probably a good timing to, to say it too, is that you know, the, the, the biggest thing I'm looking for when I start to hear the gunfire, and, and okay, I lied, I got two things. I just realized that I think it's worth mentioning that in these scenarios of super duper common thread, super duper common thread that we see a pattern almost all the time is that people aren't sure it's gunfire they're hearing. Yep. This is, so, you know, here in this, in this podcast, people who are listening to this right now, we're shooters. And so we inherently believe that we're more likely to recognize the sound of gunfire than random people. For, for a lot of you listening to this, it's probably never crossed your mind to consider that you might hear gunfire and not know it's gunfire. But we, I think it's important for us to all acknowledge that possibility. You might hear sound and say, huh, what was that? depending on distance, depending on the room. I mean, we're talking about retail environments, very tall. They generally have kind of open, uh, more modern ceilings or things like that. The way the sounds echo, the way they move. Uh, was that fireworks? Was that somebody dropping something? Uh, you know, it might not become immediately obvious. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it's important that, you know, you, you need to be cautious in, in the reality that most people, and you should probably put yourself in most people, I certainly do, I don't immediately recognize that it's gunfire. Um, but the thing that Matthew said last week that I wanted to repeat at this, at this point was he said something about keeping um, something solid and predictable at his back, right? So instead of moving through the store where he has to worry about uh, uh, threats in the 360 degrees around him, that's a pretty hard, hard game to play. You know, if he's moving around an exterior of a store or a restaurant or a building, uh, then he knows he has something solid behind him and he only has to look at about 180 or maybe 270 degrees uh, in front of him. And that's a lot, uh, you know, the more, more, uh, an easier position to take as you're trying to move from cover to cover. And, and cover, I think, is probably a pretty natural you know, thing we got to talk about at some point, too. Well, I, I think that's probably the number two thing, right? And, and, it, and it ties in real well with, you know, we've been pushing all this last week on a, on a launch, you know, company wide of this fighting from cover video training course uh, that, uh, you know, we've recently finished filming. And, and so that whole course, I mean, like at, at, at the core of it, fighting from cover, like use of cover becomes so important, especially in situations like this. So you got to ask yourself, we all have to be honest with, with ourselves. Do I know how to effectively use cover? Right. And then what about this? I do think that there's some, just, just based on conversations I've had online with people, I think there's some concealed carriers out there that would uh, 
um, not, you know, they, they don't give any respect towards concealment, right? And what that could do for them, especially in a situation like this, we're talking mass shootings here, right? So, so I think that would, you know, Mark is hitting me up on my semantics here. You know, he says, cause I said my number, my first number one point, well, my second number one point <laughs> would be, do you know how to use cover effectively? Right, cover and concealment. And by the way, we we generally define for our purposes here, cover is cover and concealment for most civilian contexts. Yeah, yeah. What you might normally define as just concealment only, we generally think of as not as good of cover. <laughs> but right. but you know, think of it if going back to a Walmart, right? Uh, where there's there's just stuff everywhere. There's aisles and aisles of stuff that you can't see through. If I'm chasing toward the gunfire, if I've, if I've chosen to engage the threat, you know, maybe I'm alone or my family's been secured and I feel an obligation to act. And so I'm moving from you know, aisle to aisle, maybe with the, 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 a wall at my back and I'm trying to get closer to the gunfire, trying to identify that he, the, the active shooter, the mass murderer cannot shoot at me when they don't even know I'm there because they've not t- even seen me yet. Uh, but once they do see me, so let's say we engage in some, in some fire, some back and forth, uh, an actual gunfight, that's fine. But they still just psychologically, with endless evidence that we don't need to cite, are so unlikely to even think or attempt to shoot me through said aisle. You know, they, they're going to wait until they see my face pop out, my body pop out. That's when they're going to engage. They might move. They might try and flank me, get better angle. But the odds of them saying, oh, where'd that dude go with that gun? Oh, he's on the other side of that, that rack. I'm just going to shoot through the rack. Pretty dang slim. They, it just doesn't really happen. So is it as good as having real cover that stops bullets? No, but it's, it's pretty dang good. Yeah. Yeah, those, uh, those are good points. I was just thinking, too, how we, uh, we just talked. We had a webinar the other night, you know, uh, talking about this Fighting for Cover course and talking about the four principles of use of cover. And so I think those, those four principles really come into play too. Like we're talking about the importance of use of cover and it is my second number one point. But if we break that down into subsets, what are those four principles of cover? And sometime I guess we'll probably do an actual podcast episode just about these four things or we'll break it down in greater detail. But obviously minimizing exposure, that's the first principle of use of cover. And that one just makes sense, right? Like, like I would like to think at least that everybody understands, Hey, I need to, uh, (laughs) minimize my exposure to my threat, obviously. So number one, that's the first principle. Number two, at least as we have it listed is awareness. Okay. Awareness of your threat, keeping visual contact on them, knowing where they are, where they're going, what they're doing. All right. Because if, if we lose, keep in mind that just, just as cover and or concealment, can protect us from our threat to where they can't see us. If we are minimizing our exposure well, we can still keep eyes on our threat or at least have a general idea where our threat is. And by awareness, you know, I was actually reviewing some of the video from our training course, uh, Jacob, and I noticed there's a lot of times when I was uh, doing some of like the force on force drills with uh, Alex, you know, and, and also with Tony. And you know, there's times where I went back behind cover, maybe to like to do a reload or something, and I'm looking left and I'm looking right, and I'm trying to keep my eyes up, making sure that I don't see one of them come around the other side, you know, because that's something you gotta watch for. So so awareness is really key. And especially in a chaotic mass shooting event, 
Like you've got to be really aware. And, and if you're having some visual occlusion, if you're having tunnel vision, whatever, that, you know, you just got to know, you got to be looking around. You need to be checking your six. You need to be checking left and right. You need to be looking and making sure that you're aware of where your threat is and what they're doing. Uh, and also innocence too, especially in, I mean, we're talking mass shooting. So we're in obviously some sort of, at least a more of a public uh, area. Number three is uh, uh, adaptability. So we need to adapt to our situation, our circumstances, our cover, how we're using that cover or the position that we find ourselves in or that we choose to shoot from to maximize the effectiveness of that cover and minimize our exposure at the same time. And then fourth, um, crap. Stable <laughs> platform. Thank you. <laughs> stable platform. Uh, you you got to have a stable platform, a stable shooting platform. Okay. If, you gotta, if, if it comes to it, sh- taking those shots then you need to make sure that you can actually do so because your your shooting platform is stable, meaning your body, your arms, your grip, all of that, uh, your ability to get your sights on target and hold them on target so you can take those accurate shots. So, so you got it. So those are those are the principles. I think that awareness factor, especially in a mass shooting uh, situation, is is really really important. Can't be cannot be overstated. Well, yeah, for this sense that is too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, throw out those principles. And I think, you know, we, we could dive deeper into those, but I think those all come into play in a big way in, in an event like this. Yeah. So here's be my next, what, what number are you on now? Your, your number, your third, first thing. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so Riley's third, first. No. Okay. So here's my next thing though. My next thought would be that it's pretty statistically, you know, rock here. I mean, most of the most of the situations we find with mass murders is that they're cowards, and as soon as they meet any sort of um, you know active counter counterattack, they stop. They either give up or they commit suicide. So, I guess my next thought here is, you know, act very quickly. Now that means what within the confines of what we described in terms of moving properly and use of cover and all those things, the faster you can get uh, to engage the threat, the better. That's that's how lives are are saved, right? What we see incidents where they last sixty seconds, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, six minutes, and dozens of people are shot. So you know the difference between you getting there, you know, to that threat in thirty seconds versus ninety seconds could be significant. It could be the difference of 10 more people not getting shot. So speed certainly matters by the nature of the threat and what's happening, but also it matters because sometimes it takes very little to actually stop the threat. Um, You know, you don't have to put that person within a seven yards and get a square shot on on combat hit zone uh, to put them down and stop the threat. It's odds are all you got to do is get a shot you know, anywhere on them at all, you know, maybe even just in their direction for them to say, oh crap, someone's shooting back. Uh, that's not good. This is that point where I give up or this is the point where I put a bullet in my head because I don't want to spend the rest of my life in, in prison being someone's, uh, you know, little plaything. So, you know, the, the sooner we can engage that shooter, the better. And I'm not suggesting you should be spraying ammo around and, and missing and hitting other people. I, I am suggesting that the speed at which you put some sort of counterattack in place is critical. That is the thing that stops the carnage. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is key. Uh, and that's a great point to bring up, right? So how to, again, we could, we could go back to the beginning where this all began as far as 
how do we know if we're going to involve ourselves or, or when do we involve ourselves or whatever, but uh, provided that you either have no other choice and that would be key too, right? Like there's, there's times, I mean, imagine the uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas shooting, that little church, right? Um, that church, I, it, maybe it had another exit, but I mean, the way it kind of seemed to me, I mean, it's a relatively small church, relatively small chapel, uh, or sanctuary, you know, and, and, and kind of a main entrance, classic American church, you know, kind of a longer, narrowish building, doors at the front. I mean, once that guy was in there, it seemed to me that people had very little chance to escape. Yeah, your, your only hope of, of surviving was to fight, right? Right, right. And obviously not everybody's capable of doing so. But if you're there and you have no other choice, you have nowhere to go, you don't have time to get anywhere because, I mean, I'll just say that church is small enough. I don't think anybody can run fast enough to get away from that guy, right? You're, we're talking like a Walmart. That's one thing. You're, you're, you're 300 feet away because you're on the far side of the store. Well, yeah, run. Like that's the smarter thing to do is when you have that opportunity, run. Okay, it, it's it, you're probably yeah, that's, gonna. That's the choice you want to make. Yeah, right. You're probably gonna get out of there. Um, you know, look at the Las Vegas shooting. People in a big, wide open, you know, area or or square, and they're all just out in the open. I mean, you could hunker down, you could lay down, whatever, but you really just need to get out of that open space, right? You got to take your chances because I mean, you can either stop and just huddle on the ground right there. You might get hit, you might not, or you can run and you might get hit and you might not. But one thing's for sure, eventually you're going to get to somewhere where he can't reach you, right? Um, So back to that church, small. I mean, if it comes down to it, you just have to fight. You might take rounds fighting, right? Hopefully there's several of you that are able or willing to fight because that's going to increase your odds. Maybe one of you can't reach him, but maybe three of you can. Maybe one of you eventually will get to him you know, or slow him down enough, or maybe that's enough for him to give up, whatever it is. Okay. And by the way, it's no guarantee. Like we talk about so often how many of these uh, mass shooters are cowards and will give themselves up, will leave, or will commit suicide at some of the first uh, opposition to their attack. But uh, that that is not, you know, a, a guarantee thing, of course. But, uh, and so we, we should be aware of that. But it is absolutely relevant that the sooner we can take action, the sooner we're probably going to put a stop to things and uh, the more lives will be saved. That really, I think, shows up, Jacob, in the data from our uh, active shooter report uh, compiled from FBI data as well as uh, stuff from John Lott. Where, you know, by the way, folks, if you haven't seen that, you should go to concealedcarry.com forward slash active shooter study, I think it is. I'll confirm that link, by the way. Uh, you know, th- it, it, the whole point of that is it shows that 94% of the time when concealed carriers, and we are talking specific to concealed carriers, somebody with a gun, a good guy with a gun, that's not a cop necessarily. 94% of the time they're successful in stopping active shooters or slowing them down, right? saving lives when they had a gun and they were there and they were able to use it and counter that attack. That's a phenomenal statistic. And it's like 79% of the time they actually are able to stop him outright. But the other, you know, the remaining percentage there from the 79 to the 94% are situations where they saved lives. They slowed him down. 
whatever it is, took, took attention away from everybody else. That's why, that's how we got to that 94% success. Because I'll tell you what, save, you know, even saving one life, that's, that's a success. Like we would consider that would be counted in that metric, but it's still remarkable. It's almost 80% that actually stopped Mm -hmm. the attacker. Right. And so that's a huge thing. That's why it's so critical that we, we think, we feel obviously, we're concealedcarry.com, that more and more law-abiding citizens need to be and should be carrying guns for their own personal protection and maybe even the protection of their friends, neighbors, and strangers because statistics show they are wildly successful in those kind of situations. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to move on to my next my next thought. You ready for me? And by the way, just before you do, I've confirmed it is concealedcarry.com forward slash active shooter study. All right. right. There you go. Okay. So it hasn't happened yet so far as I'm aware, but I think we're not far away from from a situation where we're going to have a mass shooting and we're going to have multiple armed citizens respond. So yeah. I, I want to discuss what that look and, and certainly I mean beyond this, this is definitely part of the how yeah yeah this has got to be part of the part of the how uh, and and you know you might say that seems really unlikely I I agree it does seem pretty dang unlikely but it's not that far away but but at the very least you might acknowledge that it could be armed citizen plus cop you know in in Dayton Ohio if an armed citizen had responded while that armed citizen was still responding police would have been on site on scene you know what was the police response Riley in, in Dayton Ohio it was like two minutes or something. It was it was very short, like they were just seconds. around the corner. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, if you're the armed citizen in Dayton, Ohio, and you respond and you engage the shooter, police are going to be on scene in, in in Dayton, Ohio, at that particular instant, that time of day, based on where they they are always staffed. That apparently that's normal shift. They're on scene in 90 seconds. So maybe it's not another armed citizen. Maybe it's the cop. But I do think that more and more, uh, just based on the number of people who are getting permits and getting armed, we need to be more uh, thoughtful about that that potential right so i know this is something we've talked about before i think we have a podcast episode i think the title is something like you know truth or myth you know ccw or mistakes other ccw or is bad guy or something like that but i guess here here's where i'm going with this it's really critical that we act in in ways that are consistent with being the gg not the bg right bgs are pointing guns everywhere they're looking for innocence um you know they they they, they came prepared for the fight. They often have spare mags, backpack, body armor, uh, whatever. They don't care where the gun's pointing. Their finger's on the trigger. Um, they, they, that looks generally very different than a GG, right? A good guy looks different like that. A good guy is mining muzzle direction, is, you know, as they move, they're not running with the gun, you know, bouncing it up and down. They're maintaining a safe muzzle direction. They're being mindful of the innocent people. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're keeping it in a, in a ready position until they see the target and they push out to threat. They fire, they come back into cover. Um, they're moving more surreptitiously because they, they don't want to be seen, whereas the after shooter doesn't care who sees them. They just want to shoot people. So we got to think a little bit more about um, you know, how do I make sure that I look like the good guy on scene here, not the BG? Yeah. One other thought, and this is something I've been thinking about. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the Trolley Square incident in 2007, I think, April 2007. Uh, what happens there is, you know, crazy dude goes into mall, starts shooting people, and you have an off-duty cop who's dining at a Rodizio grill. Oh, such good food. 
and he decides to come out. Uh, he's dining with his wife. He you know leaves his wife at the restaurant. He comes out into the mall's you know general area and he engages the shooter. Um, and then when cops arrive, they properly identify him as. Uh, as a good guy, and then they help engage the, the BG, which is a good thing. Frankly, good guy was out of ammo. He had like a five-shot revolver or something. It wasn't going to go very far. So I, I think that I've been thinking about that and thinking, you know, is it is it conceivable? Is it possible? You know, I'm in the Walmart, and I'm moving through the Walmart. I'm looking for the shooter. People are running past me, probably going the opposite direction I'm going. Is it conceivable? I could grab one of those people and say, I need you to call 911 and tell them, that there's a good guy with a gun on scene. That seems kind of crazy. Like I know that seems far-fetched. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if that person would scream and keep running or if they'd be like, yep, I'm all over it. But you know, maybe, maybe if, if I'm with my wife and my kids and I secure them somewhere and then I decide to go engage, I could, I could have them call. You know, that's someone who probably I could communicate that to and say, dear, call 911, just you know, tell them I'm wearing a blue shirt and I'm, I'm, I'm armed and I'm here on site. Uh, because I want you know, in addition to looking like the good guy, which I do think is going to go a long way, I also, where possible, want dispatch to be informed that there's a good guy on scene. If there's that opportunity, then yes, I think it's, it certainly can't hurt to uh, make sure that that kind of information is passed on uh, to law enforcement and obviously to dispatch, right? Now, a couple of things here though, uh, just just to be real about this, we, we do obviously want to take steps to uh, not be mistaken as the bad guy. Of course. Uh, I I do think body language is a big thing. Uh, So not going around searching with the gun extended, even at a low ready, I would, I would discourage you against, I think either a high compressed kind of almost like position Sewell type position, I think would be better. And and perhaps even better than that is to have it at, at, at at a one handed low ready, like basically down at your side. Okay. Just, I mean, arguably, you could almost keep it in a holster and keep your and maybe have your hand on the gun in the holster. If you've practiced and you've practiced regularly, and your skill is at a level that it ought to be, in my opinion, especially if your hand starts on the gun in the holster, you should be able to get that out and take a shot in under a second easily. All right. Now, you recognize that you're getting closer, that you're approaching. Uh, you know, the bad guy, the active shooter, well, get the gun out, right? But I think the key there is don't go running around with the gun out unnecessarily. And I know that may sound like a kind of a scary thing uh, when you know that there's somebody else out there looking for people to kill. Uh, But, uh, you know, use your best judgment, but just don't be running around with the gun outstretched because that could misidentify you very easily as, as the bad guy, because that's what they're doing. They don't care who they shoot. They don't care where they throw their bullets. They're not worried about their backstop. They're not worried about safe directions or anything like that. Uh, In fact, very, very few of these guys actually shoot two handed. (laughs) It's a remarkable high percentage of of mass murderers that are one hand shooters. Well, when they're using a pistol, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of them have even had, you know, they've done the, the whole dual wield thing, right? One in each, each, each hand. Cause again, they don't really care. Uh, they just know if they spray enough bullets towards a horde of people, a group of people, they're going to hit people. Right. So, uh, yeah, body language is key, but, but also, so a couple things I was going to say, first of all, especially in chaotic events, uh, we it certainly can't hurt to try to pass along information to, to dispatch, but they there's a good chance they probably already are overwhelmed. 
but we doesn't mean we shouldn't try as long as um, there's not so many people that are trying to contact them all at once that it's overwhelming their system. Uh, but just realize that there's a lot of things that might not get passed on to the cops because dispatch can only take in so much information and they can only pass along so much information. Riley, shouldn't we buy that product, that ribbon that we just pull out of our pocket and throw? <laughs> throw? <laughs> right, right. I'm a good guy ribbon. Right? <laughs> I'm going to carry this with me everywhere and take the time to throw this on, you know, in an active shooter uh, event. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to like, honestly, if somebody had one of those ribbons and they threw it on like, okay, more power to you. Right. Like it certainly couldn't hurt. Yeah. Unless it doesn't it help in any way. Time to, to get it. I don't know. I just, I'm not going to carry one of those things around with me. That's seems pretty silly to me. Um, so a couple other things too. Uh, so, so body language is key. Communication is key. Um, and again, awareness. Remember I talked about awareness. So if we are aware that we, you know, we see uniforms showing up on scene or vehicles, you know, pl- uh, flashing lights, things like of that nature, that's a sign that we really need to be on our, on our uh, best behavior. You know, we got to be ready to uh, immediately respond to commands, immediately disarm ourselves if need be put the gun away, put it in a holster, whatever it is. Okay. So be prepared for those moments and be prepared to act uh, when necessary. And uh, so that'd be another thing that I think is related to this. Uh, I had another thought. Uh, I think that one's gone. So I think, I think there's some good points there. Okay. Uh, those are all applicable to the whole, you know, not being mistaken as the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a sash. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me, Casey. The, yeah. The, the, the good guy sash. Good guy sash. Um, okay, so here's something else I think we could talk about, Jacob, uh, as far as like how to survive a mass shooting. And it would kind of be like the what not to do, right? Because that would be the, the, the antithesis. Like, okay, so how? Well, don't do some of these things, right? So uh, I have heard things thrown out there like get on the ground and play dead. What do, what do you think about advice like that jacob uh it seems like a pretty serious last resort to me um you know uh, so I'm, I'm not saying it's never a good idea let's say i'm in that ch- that church that we were talking about sutherland springs i'm not armed no gun no knife i'm 12 years old and not physically apt or prepared to counteract some sort of violence and guy comes in and starts spraying bullets now, that might be a, a situation where that advice is applicable, where maybe that 12-year-old should just hit on the ground and play dead. I don't know. I mean, you know, is that better than nothing? What's the alternative? Stand there and wait to get shot? If that's your alternative, then I'd say, you know, falling on the ground and playing dead is not a bad idea. But, but relative to the other options that generally would be presented, right? Escaping, running, seeking yeah. cover, fighting back. Um, you know, playing dead seems like a pretty bad option, you know, if you have these other alternatives. Right, right. Uh, again, okay, so your point is that it's situationally dependent. I mean, if I'm in a situation where I can't extract my family uh, away from there, then, uh, yeah, I want my kids down and not moving, right? Not drawing attention to them uh, because that's 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 the only thing that they, they can do. Um, but if you're able-bodied, at least even reasonably, or if you're armed or whatever, like last resort's not playing dead. Last resort is fighting until you can't fight anymore in my sure, world. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but I've, I've sometimes heard this, like, okay, this is one strategy. Okay, lay down, pl- act, play dead. 
But I don't think that's something we can really count on much anymore. Maybe at one time, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but uh, if you look at some of the recent really bad shootings, okay, so back to that Sutherland Springs incident. He fired like 700 rounds inside that church. What does that tell you? You know, there's like 60 people there. 700, I mean, that, what that tells you is that he's shooting people once and he's shooting them again and he's coming back to them and shooting them again. Yeah, he was executing them. Yeah. Right? Uh, the Christchurch uh, New Zealand shooting. All right? I've seen the video. It's not pretty. But for, from a learning standpoint, seeing some of the tactics that were used, you had a horde, a mass of people that they all ended up collapsing in on themselves. You know, a pile of bodies, some alive, at least for a time, some not. And he just kept dumping, 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 dumping. Even the ones that were probably dead, he just kept dumping, 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 dumping. Okay. So, yeah, I, maybe at one time that was something that made sense, but I wouldn't say it's something that makes sense anymore, I, I, except for elderly or children, you know, that can't, can't in the last resort, can't put up the fight necessarily. Uh, that probably is their best chance. But for everybody else, don't count on just playing dead and you're going to get, you know, away from that situation in one piece because the recent shooters, they are there to cause the most shock the most, I mean, they want to cut at the heartstrings of society. And the way they're going to do it is by being the absolute most vicious, gross, disgusting, violent, despicable beings they possibly can be. The most blood and brains, I hate, sorry to be graphic, that they can spray everywhere, the better for what they're trying to achieve. As far as the notoriety, the fame, the attention, whatever it is. All right, so I want that was that's the first like don't do this again situation independent. But if you've heard that or you've thought that, mm, I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. What are maybe some other things that you would say uh, not to do, Jacob? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, my immediate thoughts go to doing the opposite of things we already said to do, right? So not using cover properly, uh, just you know running you know without any thought for you know protecting yourself from fire. Uh, that that's probably a not to do. Um, delaying, you know, again, speed of of counterattack is really critical. So anything, you know, that you know, what should we verify? Should we check? Should we see what that is? Um, you know, I, well, I don't know. That's probably nothing. You know, any sort of delays uh, that that would would prevent you from immediate action. Uh, that's a huge not to do. Now, another interesting one I think about is uh, the idea of kind of you know. I'll call it duck and cover. And another one is the idea of throwing objects at someone. So we hear this a lot, particularly in the school setting. Oh, you know, the kids are supposed to lock down drill, close doors, lock doors, whatever. And if someone comes through, throw rocks or chairs or desks or pencils or whatever. You know, in the church, you know, grab those hymnals and start chucking them at, at you know, so that's that's what we hear a lot. And it's that's that's another one I would call debatable. Is there some context where that might be really valid? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that there is context where that could be really valid. You could definitely distract, slow down, uh, and maybe save some lives by by chucking stuff at people. But it's also a pretty good way to probably to get shot, uh, you know, in, in the end and make yourself a bit of a target. And depending on what you're throwing, you know, it, at very best, all you're really doing is, is delaying a little bit, buying some time. And maybe that time would help someone. But I struggle with that being the strategy, similar to 
you know, lay down, play dead. That's my strategy. That's my go-to. Um, you know, I, I struggle similarly with the idea that I'm just going to pick up whatever I can find nearby and throw it at someone. That's my strategy. Uh, I struggle with that. Again, you know, last case scenario, scenario uh, or worst case scenario. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I mean, for instance, uh, we have students in schools, right? And teachers that in most cases can't have weapons with them to defend themselves. And they should, of course, barricade that room, provide that you know, there's no other avenue of escape for them. And again, this goes to the how, right? But if we're talking specific to a school or a situation that would be similar to a school, meaning you have a fairly good-sized building with multiple rooms and maybe not as many exits as would be desirable in a situation like that. So you got to do everything you can to barricade uh, or lock or secure the doorway into that room. Here's the remarkable thing. Going back to the discussion about cover versus concealment, even in situations where an active shooter could shoot through walls and hit people in a barricaded room, it's almost never that they've done that, right? Uh, Go to, say, the Virginia Tech shooting, right? And you look at the success rate from room to room, if you can call it that, right? And I think it's arguably so. Uh, From room to room to room, all the different rooms, especially on the second story of that engineering building, uh, you had a couple of rooms where almost everybody was either wounded or killed. And then you had two other rooms that were, you know, I think one they had like, so I think maybe somebody got hit or something or a couple wounded, but nobody got killed. And there was one room he couldn't get into at all. And everybody in that room survived and may, I don't even think got wounded. Right. So the importance of, of if you're in a situation, you've got a barricade, then you really need to barricade and prevent him from making entry. But then again, if the shooter's able to make entry into a barricaded room, then, and you've got nothing else to use, you got to use everything that you can. Books, if, if rocks are available, like I guess some schools in Pennsylvania or a school or whatever uh, was putting buckets of rocks in the, in, in the classroom. And you know what? Like some people might look at that and kind of chuckle a little bit or laugh or think that's silly. But I actually applaud the principal or superintendent or whoever that, said, let's put buckets of rocks in our classrooms because he was doing what he's allowed to do under the, under the law and, and had the idea to, to not, you know, like we're not going to be victims or, or at least we're going to try not to be victims, right? So not ideal to throw rocks at an active shooter, but if that's what you got, like, okay, that's what you got. You know, you got to fight what you got. Um, by the way, uh, let's talk about fire extinguishers real quick. This would be another kind of how. Uh, a fire extinguisher, number one, could be a really good tool for striking somebody with, right? So if you're going to tackle a shooter, I mean, it's one thing to tackle, but if you could also strike them as you pound them into the ground with your body, well, cool. Fire extinguisher, yeah, you can kill somebody with that. Here's another thing. Fire extinguishers could be used to create, uh, again, to uh, sort of the same effect as, uh, as having concealment, Right obscuring that shooter's vision. So filling a hallway with the white particulate and smoke from a fire extinguisher to at least provide the opportunity to start trying to escape. That's also something to be, you know, keep in mind. Um, and can be somewhat disorienting. If you could, if you were close enough to actually use it right on a shooter, it's going to obscure his vision and ability to function at least for a few seconds. So, so there's all kinds of opportunities, right? So all kinds of hows. 
so including in non-permissive non-permissive environments as far as firearms are concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's important to remember, and we've talked about several things, and you and Matthew especially covered a lot of these things about kind of the mentality of, of the shooter, but you need to understand that they've already played this out in their mind. They already, they've already fantasized what's going to happen. They have a very distinct and clear mental you know, picture in their mind that they've played back several times, and now they're just acting out the thing they've already fantasized. Yeah. And so anything you do that disrupts the pattern, that disrupts the vision that they envision for themselves, right? If, if the movie doesn't, doesn't play back the way they, they set it up to play back, that really screws them up. That really throws them off. They don't have backup plans. They don't have good tactics. They just have a fantasy that they're, they're now living, right? That they're playing out. So you know, throwing off lights and putting them in complete darkness or blinding them with a half-decent flashlight, you know, throwing things at them, as we talked about earlier, or you know, returning gunfire. In anything you do that disrupts the fantasy that they have previously imagined they are now planning out is going to be successful and at very least, you know, slowing things down and probably saving some lives. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I think we're coming up on that hour mark. So it's probably about time we start wrapping up. I'm again, I think there's probably even more content we could discuss and talk about. Uh, I'm not saying we're necessarily going to do a part three to all of this. Maybe we will, you never know, but but I'd like to think that we've done it quite a bit more justice combined with last week's episode, uh, the part one, and, and then today's part two. I hope that we've given folks some some food, right? Some stuff to to take in, to digest it, to ponder on it, uh, to think about your own personal strategies and uh, practices and preparedness. Preparedness is really, really a key one, right? Um in fact, there's been some really good comments in the Facebook Live here today from from viewers, and we're so thankful for all of you that are participating there, uh, including ones about you know our own mindset, and our own mental and emotional preparedness, where that's at. I mean, there's a comment earlier from Bill about you know unless you're frequently in violent situations, nobody knows exactly how they're going to respond. Well, I think that's generally true. Uh, I I think we can mentally, emotionally, so mindset, I think we can prepare ourselves to to handle ourselves better than the average person for sure. And, and I think, you know, there, there's a lot of emotional and mental maturity that's got to happen there and a lot of mindset prep, you know, thinking of situations, thinking of your tactics, thinking of what you're going to do, getting training too, such a big one there. If you could do force on force too, huge, huge value there. Uh, I'd love for everyone viewing or listening to this to have that opportunity for force on force training. We're trying to bring more of that to our students through our guardian uh, pistol curriculum because there, you know, it it includes some force on force components. Uh, I'd like to see more of that occur. So if you have that opportunity, I would encourage you to seek it out. That training, that preparation, your own personal practice uh, your mindset and various exercises that you might do for that. This is all really key and really important, I think, to preparing yourself. And if you're prepared, at least reasonably well prepared, you're already 99% leaps and bounds ahead of where most normal civilians are. are. Uh, you've got, I think, a really good chance 
of succeeding and coming away from a mass shooting whole and in one piece. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and everyone's got to decide what, what they're going to do. And, and I'll just quickly a little plug that uh, you and I are co-instructing a, a Guardian Essentials, Guardian Standards and Guardian Breakthrough classes coming up uh, late in September. I think September 21st, 20th, 21st, 22nd or something like that. You can go to class.consultcare.com and you can find those classes. And we recognize that not all of you are in the Colorado, you know, Denver area. It's te- technically those classes are just east of Fort Collins. Yep. Uh, but you know, it, we've had students that have traveled long distances before to come to those classes. And uh, I think it's something you might, you might consider. Yeah. Uh, seriously. I, I promise you, if you were to travel, if you were to really go out of your way to come out here and take those three days of training with us, you would not regret it. And you would walk away with what I think is some of the best training that you probably will have ever received. Uh, not to toot my own horn too much, but just based on feedback from students that have gone through our courses uh, and also based on classes I've taken myself. And I've taken a lot of good stuff, um, but I've taken some stuff too that, well, it wasn't necessarily bad. I mean, I think there was missed opportunities. And our goal is to miss as few of those opportunities as possible and to give you, you know, the, you know, if we're, if we're talking like parietal, parietal, principle, the 80-20 rule or 90-10, whatever, uh, we're going to give you 80% of what you really truly need with 20% of the time and 20% of the effort, right? And we're going to have you only focus on the 20% of the things that really truly matter. Uh, that's really kind of the one of the key principles of, of that coursework. Uh, we're not going to waste your time. You're not going to sit around on the range doing stuff that that's not going to make you a better shooter and a better self-defender. So I hope that you'll... Uh, come to one of our courses. Uh, looking forward to the course we have coming up here. That's just a little bit more than a month here in Colorado. Again, class.concealedcarry.com. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jacob. Um, okay. So again, CCW Safe. So excited. So happy to have them on board as a sponsor of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Guys, uh, you can head on over to ccwsafe.com to learn more. And if you're a Guardian Nation member or if you're considering being a member, you might want to make that happen. Take advantage of 20% discount. By the way, CCW Safe doesn't do discounts, right, Jacob? Uh, they have a couple of partners that they, you know, like us, that they do allow to offer discounts. As far as right. I'm They don't aware, have like coupon codes. No, yeah. As far as I'm aware, no one out there can get you 20% off but us. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah. That, it, it's a thing. And if you're listening to this and you're already a member of CCW Safe, by the way, and maybe maybe they don't want me to tell you this, but you basically can cash in a hundred dollar discount on Guardian Nation if you want to think of it that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. Appreciate your support of our sponsors and our your support of us and everything we do here at concealedcarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast. So with that, we're gonna wrap it up, let you go. Any last remaining words, Jacob? Just to train often, train oh. right, and train safe. Yeah. So you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.